Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. As a note to our learners, we will begin publishing our educational series only once a week beginning in July. Please continue to join us on our full-length live and on-demand webinars as we continue to learn more about COVID-19. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Awater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Dr. Allwater, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Faith. The, the news this week is uh, on the COVID front has certainly been dominated by the Delta variant on a number of aspects. This variant of concern now was first described earlier uh, in India, but now has become widespread. And although much of the United States is at low risk levels with community prevalence rates of positive testing of under 1%, as is the case in Maryland and many other communities. There remain hotspots uh, throughout the country, especially in states that have lower immunization rates. And the concern now is a bit of a race where we may have increasing amounts of COVID infections in communities without higher immunization rates. Uh, and also perhaps again, uh, especially among younger people who, who are not immunized to the same degree as people uh, in uh, risk group categories. This slide from the CDC is a bit older. It's running about a month old, uh, <clears throat> but importantly, what you can see is that the so-called alpha uh, uh, variant, which established itself very quickly in January and became the dominant virus, that's the one labeled B117 here, uh, has decreased with the rise of P1 and B1617.2. That latter one is the Delta variant. And most importantly, the latest uh, data suggests that uh, over 50% of the currently sequenced viruses in the United States are now made up by this Delta variant. So why are, uh, is everyone talking about it and as uh, concerned? Because previously the alpha virus, um, the alpha variant was concerning because of the increased transmissibility and perhaps the increased virulence. Well, the, the Delta variant now accounts for over 90% of infections in the United Kingdom. Uh, I have the slide here 20%, but really late breaker information suggests it may now be half. And compared to that earlier alpha variant, uh, this delta variant is now perhaps 50 to 70%, some have even said 100% more transmissible uh, with perhaps an increased risk of hospitalization, so the severity of illness. And 
there does look like there's reduced protection regarding the Delta variant by uh, both vaccine and perhaps uh, we'll talk about uh, later uh, monoclonal antibodies. Uh, perhaps most glaringly, if you've only received one in, uh, immunization of either uh, an MRI vaccine or the AstraZeneca uh, chimpanzee adenovirus vaccine, uh, it looks like that is largely insufficient um, in terms of protecting against uh, COVID-19. Uh, and uh, even with Pfizer and AstraZeneca, it looks like there's less protection as well. So why is this? This alpha, um, Delta variant has uh, nine mutations with potential and uh, no one really knows for sure why uh, this, uh, these mutations have made this even more transmissible. Some of the series are a particular mutation, P681R, which is adjacent to the so-called furin site cleavage. This is where a human enzyme helps participate in cleaving and allows um, the virus to enter cells. So this uh, mutation is thought to be perhaps problematic. Another uh, uh, one that many have uh, discussed is the so-called N-terminal domain supersite, and that's in this diagram to the right, where uh, two amino acids are deleted and uh, the amino acid at 158 is changed from arginine to glycine. And it looks like this helps uh, reduce one of the uh, uh, antibody neutralizing binding sites so that if you are generating anti-spike protein antibodies, you've sort of lost one of the main binding sites. Now, uh, it's not clear which of these or multiple ones are participating in these changes, but uh, these are the concerns and it, it makes sense for why we may be seeing more breakthrough infections um, and potentially uh, more transmissibility. Now, uh, some recent information that's just come out uh, from Israel suggests that uh, the Delta variant is quite widespread there. And uh, the protection rate's only 67% from this uh, mostly Pfizer-induced uh, immunity within the country, where they have very high rates of participation with immunization. But importantly, it looks like protection against severe illness landing you in the hospital is still quite excellent at 94%. So uh, perhaps there's some reduction in that overall previously excellent protection uh, that was seen in clinical trials, but most importantly, and this is perhaps the emphasis to really driving people to please try to be immunized, is it does still appear, even in the face of this Delta variant, to protect against hospitalization and severe illness. Now, uh, one other issue, we've talked on previous programs about female fertility, um, uh, interestingly, of course, there have been social media um, uh, uh, false statements that uh, any of the Moderna or Pfizer vaccines may affect male fertility. I just thought this was an interesting uh, publication that just uh, uh, really refutes that uh, these vaccines affect fertility. This is a study where people participate in uh, producing um, uh, a sperm for analysis pre and post immunization. There's often wide variation in the amount of a sperm produced, uh, both in concentration and amounts. Uh, uh, so there is this wide variation, but importantly, 
if anything, as you look at this, that um, the amount of uh, sperm seen is actually higher post-immunization rather than lower. Of course, this could just be variation, but importantly, doesn't suggest that there's any a genuine effect on male fertility. And this is something that a number of family members have asked me about. And it's nice to have some proof, even though there was really no scientific basis for uh, this particular concern. And then lastly, um, uh, the number of people that continue to ask about repurposed drugs are quite high. Some of this is driven by, again, social media, but also in Brazil, uh, where the president uh, there still espouses hydroxychloroquine use, even though that uh, there's been no credible uh, trials to really support its role. Ivermectin, which is an antiparasitic agent, has been proposed based on in vitro evidence uh, to have effect. Uh, there have been 10 trials, five against standard of care, five with placebo, mostly for a mild to moderate illness, uh, which uh, did not show, uh, uh, even in aggregate meta-analysis, uh, statistical um, relevance in terms of uh, reducing mortality. And uh, these authors quote that the trials really had very low quality of evidence. Uh, also, a reduction in duration of illness, Again, um, uh, no uh, convincing evidence by a statistical analysis, and there is no impact at all at reducing the amount of virus. There are three trials within here that suggested a mortality benefit, and those were at very high risk of bias because of design, open label nature, and so on. So at least from these existing trials, there's no uh, conclusion to be reached that really su should suggest it be used. But many countries without access to care, this is still being uh, uh, taken uh, because uh, they really don't have access to medical care. Uh, and the thought is it's better than doing nothing. There are two large trials planned, one uh, uh, run by Oxford, as well as another, uh, to try to look at this in a rigorous, uh, randomized, controlled fashion. Uh, I personally think that it's uh, unfortunately a waste, but uh, perhaps this will help prevent people from taking an antiparasitic for this uh, viral disease. So we, we may know more in the next coming months uh, uh, in, uh, regarding this particular repurposed drug. So we do have some questions uh, from learners and you can always feel free please to uh, send your questions and we'll try to get to them on a weekly basis. Uh, of course, with the uh, advent of the Delta virus, one question is, are the monoclonal antibodies still effective? Two important points here. First, Health and Human Services, HHS, has actually removed bamlanivimab and etisivimab, that combination, uh, because of its lack of benefit against the Delta variant and also uh, the Gamma variant, the P1. Uh, uh, and potentially others. However, the good news is that the uh, casarivimab and divimab combination, as well as sotrovimab, the new monoclonal, both still appear to have some effectiveness. And of course, we'll uh, get some additional information over time with increased use of this new monoclonal antibody. So my advice would be that if you have a patient with risk factors, uh, who acquires COVID-19, even if they've been immunized, uh, they may not have responded well. So if it's early in illness, refer and have them get the monoclonal antibody infusion. And remember, 
the uh, castorivimab and divimab uh, combination can also be given by subcutaneous route. And the last question for this week is uh, what other antivirals are being looked into for COVID-19 treatment? The real hole or gap, as it were, in treatment for COVID-19 are oral antivirals. Molnupiravir is uh, one oral compound that uh, was originally developed for hepatitis C. It has fairly good test tube activity against uh, the coronavirus, and that is currently in trial. Some preliminary information suggests that it was uh, perhaps effective in reducing viral clearance, but we haven't yet seen a published information, only a preprint. There's also another drug um, from the Atia Corporation, I believe it's called A527, that's also in phase two trials. So hopefully um, there'll be some oral compounds which can be used uh, before the uh, illness progresses to hospitalization that could stave this off. But do remember that we do have monoclonal antibodies for people at risk. Uh, so these two questions are actually quite relevant for outpatient treatment. So I want to thank you very much for uh, listening for this week. Please send uh, questions and uh, hope everyone is um, hopefully having a, a good summer and uh, encouraging immunization uh, for your patients whenever possible. Thanks so much for listening. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.